The following message is by Justin Duran, pastor and elder at Creekside Bible Church, located in Cupertino, California. Good morning, Creekside Bible Church. Woo! Man. Yeah. Look at you. Y'all look really good. And I have never done this before, but I'm going to take a picture. And I want to tell you why I'm going to take this picture right now, or a couple of pictures. For one, y'all are just really pretty. Uh, But also, on top of that, today is a very significant day for me, not just because we are coming together as one church, and we've been working for this for over a year now, but also, uh, as some of you already know, but most of you would have no way of knowing, today, July 7th, actually marks my five-year anniversary to the day of being on staff at what was First Baptist Church of Cupertino that became Creekside Community and is now Creekside Bible Church. And that's not just significant because it's cool and because I like the symmetry of it, but because if you look around at one another, I have literally been praying for you for five years to the day. For five years, I have been praying for this church, for these elders, for you people, and it is good to meet you. I am excited to see you. I am very excited to see you. As we turn to God's word this morning, it's a part of that five-year prayer that I really want us to consider as we look this morning at Ephesians. We're going to be looking at chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, uh, through... 4, chapter 4, verse 6, and I promise I'm going to go super fast. I know this is supposed to be short, but don't worry, I'm from California and I can speak quickly. So uh, one of the things that I have been praying for that five years is that when God gave us this church, when God brought these elders, when God gave us one another, that we would be a church that was biblically united, not culturally united, not, not, not united in hobbies or in interests or in tastes, but that we would be a church that is biblically united. And so uh, this morning, as we come together, we're going to look at this concept of biblical unity and really what it says in God's word about that. Primarily, what we're going to be looking at is, uh, is chapter three, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through chapter 4, verse 6, but there's a little bit of back work that we need to do to kind of understand what's going on here. So if you would read with me in Ephesians chapter 3, starting at verse 14, the apostle Paul, when writing to the church at Ephesus, says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God." Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Picking up in verse 4, chapter 4, rather, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What a powerful section of Scripture that we have before us here. And as we look at chapter 3, particularly verses 14 through 19, I want you to see that this is a profoundly bold and really truly enormous prayer for the Apostle Paul to be praying. It's so easy to skip over these things in Scripture, but I just want you to try and understand for a moment the magnitude of really what he's requesting as he makes this petition to the Lord. In 14, we see uh, that, that the Apostle Paul is literally kneeling and bowing in submission to the king of the universe, which is a beautiful picture. This is how we should all always be in our heart, but he's literally physically kneeling before the king of the universe in submission. And in 15, we see this acknowledgement of God's eternal nature and his eternal foreknowledge. And then in 16, it really starts to kick off. In 16, it says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. I have a question. How deep and vast are the riches of God's glory? Well, the answer is, is that they're limitless. They're endless, boundless. And now Paul is praying that the church would be strengthened inside through God's Holy Spirit in direct proportion to this limitless limitless glory, in direct proportion to God's endless glory. And in 17, uh, the first part of 17, we see why he prays this. He's praying that we would be granted this limitless spiritual power so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through limitless faith. Now, we have to be very careful when we look at texts like this because Paul is not praying here that we would have endless spiritual power that we might declare a word of faith and that we could go ahead and claim that Ferrari and the new job and the bigger house. Those aren't the things that, that, that we're seeing here. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is praying that the church would have limitless spiritual power that would lead to a limitless faith in Christ Jesus, our one and only Savior. And then in the second part of 17, he goes on to pray that we would be rooted and grounded in what, friends? In this limitless power, is that what we should be rooted and grounded in? No. Should we be uh, grounded in the limitless faith that is fueled by this limitless power? No. He prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love for Christ Jesus. 18 and 19, then he goes on to pray that we would be given strength to have a limitless comprehension or understanding of the endless measure of God. But he doesn't pray this so for just for the sake of knowledge, but rather that we would have this vast understanding that would then be dwarfed by the realization that the love of Christ surpasses anything that we could possibly comprehend. And then he prays that we would have this grand realization so that we may be filled with all the fullness of God, that we might be filled with the totality of God's love and measure. In 20 and 21, 
than this prayer, as really all prayers should, this prayer leads into then a heartfelt worship of our Lord when he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this amazing prayer, this heartfelt, earnest worship sets the stage for the charge and for the urging that we're given in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I know I'm blowing through this really quick, but don't worry, it's fine. In chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So now when we read Scripture, like Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, this natural inclination starts to come out that we have. This natural inclination as human beings is to put the emphasis on which word in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Well, the natural inclination is to put the emphasis on you. Why? Because we're selfish, depraved creatures. That's why our natural fallen state is, is kind of thinking and desiring to put us first in all things. However, Friends, I say this with love, you are not the emphasis in verse 1. As a matter of fact, the Bible was not simply written about God's people, it was primarily written to God's people. So in other words, the Bible isn't about you, and that's a good thing. The emphasis here, versus being on you, or versus being uh, on one individual, is actually the calling to which you have been called. This is the emphasis of chapter 4, verse 1, this calling. Now, I'm sure that many of you have, have either read or heard uh, this scripture before. It's one of actually the better kind of known texts of the epistles. But I, I want to ask you, have you ever stopped to really think and consider the significance of what's being said here? The calling to which you have been called. Namely, in case you don't know, that, that you have passed out of death and into life, like we see in 1 John uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 14. To be fellow heirs with Christ, like we see in Romans 8, 17. That you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. <clears throat> and second, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. We see that in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And then that you are to go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded, as we see in Matthew 28, 19. This is the calling to which you have been called, Christian. This calling that encapsulates all these things and more is a calling that is worthy of an utmost care, an utmost consideration, an utmost honor and due significance from those who would carry this calling. Let me give you an example of what I mean by this utmost care. Why is it 
Do you think that when we learn of a, of a police officer or politicians or judges or teachers or childcare workers or pastors or any person that is in a position of authority and, and trust, when we learn that they have violated the sanctity of their duties and have fallen to some form of corruption, why is it, do you think, that we as a society become so passionately enraged when we learn about these things? Why are these failings, these moral failings, so heinous and reprehensible to us? Why does it offend us so much? Well, it's because their position, the calling to which they have been called, so to speak, is worthy of a certain high level of conduct. They're expected to, to exert and safeguard the authority and the trust that we've given them with an absolute care and humility when dealing with the people who they've been charged with having care over. So when they violate that trust and authority, it offends us deeply to our core. The same, friends, the same thing is urged of Christians. When we are urged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, we Two are to realize that our calling has a direct effect on those who have been given over to our care. Now, for the elders, this is really clear because all of you have been given over to our care. And if you're a father or a mother, this is clear. Your family and your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren have been given over to your care. But what about the local church? Well, friends... We have been given over to one another's care as the local church. We are to watch over one another, admonish one another as necessary, encourage one another. We are to be edifying to one another as we worship the Lord together. We are given to one another as a beautiful gift, and we are to walk in a manner worthy of a calling to which we have been called. We see in chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And once we understand the significance of all of these verses that we've looked to at this point, the rest of the scripture that we're, we're looking at today almost becomes a self-diagnostic tool for the Christian, doesn't it? It's very easy to say, am I, am I walking in a manner that's worthy of this high calling that I have been called to? Am I walking in a manner that I could present eagerly to the Lord? Am I treating those who are in my care, my church, my brothers, my sisters, fellow heirs in the kingdom of heaven? Am I treating them with all humility and with gentleness? Is it with patience that I deal with my brothers and sisters, bearing with one another in love? Am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? We are to deal with one another in these ways, with gentleness and patience, with a humble spirit, with loving and generous hearts. We are to carry one another's burdens and to dismiss minor offenses. 
We must be eager and indeed long for a unity that comes from the power of God in his Holy Spirit. And friends, this is what I need us to understand as we march forward into this new era of Creekside Bible Church. It must be with biblically based unity that we surge forward in the name of the Holy Father of the universe. It must be with unity and with humbleness and with gentleness and with patient, kind, generous spirits that we bear one another's burden with love. This, this we must do and we must maintain this disposition of love and charity towards one another. And in so doing, we will be bound together in peace that only Christ can bring. See, because, friends, when we're looking at the disposition of a heart that looks like this scripture says it should, then truly, friends, we are looking at a disposition of a heart that is like Christ. And that, friends, is the call of the local church, is to hold one another to a high standard, but not a high standard by, by cultural standards, not a high standard even by, by a standard of a church culture, but rather a high standard according to God's word, a Christ-like standard. And then we see in verse 4, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. This calling, this calling to which you have been called that demands such high standard of conduct and popping, this thing that demands such a high standard of conduct, it's, it's based in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Friends, I want us to remember moving forward that even though we are two churches that are laying themselves down and coming together as one new body, we should never, ever, ever consider us a them and us and us and them a was. We are only about what is. And friends, what we are is one church that has one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. Let me pray for us as uh, our dear brother, Pastor Cliff, comes up to relieve me. <laughs> awesome and amazing God. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we truly lay it all on Jesus. God, we thank you for the work that you have done bringing these two bodies to a point where they would lay themselves down and become one new creation under you. And God, we pray fervently that you would give us a spirit of unity. Father God, we pray that each and every one of us would spur one another onto righteousness, that we as a church would walk in a manner according to the call that you have called us to. Father God, would we remember that no matter what, no matter our differences or preferences, we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Creekside Bible Church, please visit our website at creeksidebiblechurch.com.